All right, well, let's go ahead and pray again. Um, Father, we pray that you would uh, teach us from your word and you would instruct us. Lord, we pray would you open our eyes to see your truth and would you use your word to speak to us and change us where we need to be changed. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be glorified today and we ask you would be present. We thank you for sending your son for us and we thank you for blessing us so richly and uh, we just want to boast in him and know him more. Thank you for everybody that's here today, and um, we look to you. Our eyes are on you, Lord, and you're our help, and you're our uh, strength. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 15, um, what I'd like to do is just um, preach from some verses here in Deuteronomy. Actually, there was, there's two passages that are somewhat kind of obscure <laughs> passages in the Old Testament, but what they're talking about is really uh, widespread, especially in the New Testament. And I want to talk about what it means to be a slave of Christ um, as opposed to a slave of sin. And so I want to just talk about the differences between being a, a slave of Christ and a slave of sin. And look at some things of that. Um, Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 17. Okay. Uh, this passage here is in a section where it just talks about different laws for the nation of Israel. And it's going to talk about some laws in regards to slavery. Verse 12 says, If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. When, he, when, when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this today. It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you in your household, since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door. And he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. Um, these verses talk about slavery, what it was like for the nation of Israel. Um, and it's kind of interesting. There's this thing that they have, not just with slavery, but with a lot of different things, that it works like this for six years, and then on the seventh year, things change. You know, you don't plant your crops, you, slept, you set your slaves free. Uh, it's the Sabbath year. And um, really I, what I want to focus on is specifically what it says in verse 16 and 17. But I thought it was kind of interesting, just these verses beforehand, there's some other commandments about slaves too. Uh, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with what I uh, ultimately want to talk about. But even what um, 
what Dick was just saying about being faithful in little things. It talks about providing for your slaves. So on the year that your slave goes free, you don't just send him out empty-handed because he's a slave and he wouldn't have anything. If he left your household, slaves don't get paid. They don't earn wages. So if he leaves, he's going to be totally empty-handed. And it says to, to furnish him liberally. And uh, what I think is really helpful is it says in the end of verse 14, you shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. So the idea is, and you see this in Scripture a lot, the idea is that the Lord blesses you so that you can in turn share with other people. And so you don't just receive blessing and just kind of soak it up. And uh, about a, a couple months ago, I read a book by K.P. Yohannan, and he talked about what he said. He said that um, the only correct biblical response to abundance in the Bible is sharing. So if the Lord blesses you, you're supposed to bless other people. You're supposed to share what he, what he gives you. And I just think that's really something to be faithful in, whether it's physical, material things, or spiritual things. Um, so that's been on my mind a lot lately, so it's kind of interesting that here it was in this passage. Um, but specifically, verse 16, okay? At, right after he talks about setting your slaves free, th- this is where, I don't know, I think this is important. It says, It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you. So here's this slave, and he doesn't want to leave. Um, and this isn't normal. If you're a slave, the best thing is freedom. <laughs> I mean, and, and we know that. It's like if you have anything, you're under some kind of yoke or burden or bondage, you love to be released from that. But here, even in the Old Testament, there's this, this teaching and this law um, that says specifically sometimes slaves aren't going to want to leave. And why is that? Why would any slave want to be a slave? Why would any slave want to stay where he's at and not take his freedom? He turns it down. Well, it says in the verse, it gives the answer. It says, because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. And um, I think that this is a perfect picture of Christianity um, because Christians aren't free. They're they're slaves, but they love to be slaves. And um, they serve a good master. They serve a master that they love. And uh, this verse, I think, here in the Old Testament, you know, it's like if you read, if you just read things in the Old Testament at face value, you miss out on so much that's there. And, um, you know, I I know that sometimes people are kind of cautious if an Old Testament verse isn't explicitly quoted in the New Testament of kind of reading or reading into it or over-spiritualizing it. Um, but the New Testament talks about what it means to be a slave of Christ a lot. Um, and so if you have any qualms with anything I would say today, I would just say maybe just read Romans 6 and see if you know the things I, I'm going to say are, are taught there. Because I think that's what this verse, I think this is why we have it in the Old Testament. It wasn't just for the Jews, it's to teach us about something. So I want you to think about Slaves that want to be slaves. Um, There's another passage in the Old Testament um, that we'll look at, and this is in 2 Chronicles 12.
we can see from the last verse that some masters are really great and you love, you, I mean, you would love it. If you could be their slave, you know, you would want to do that. You wouldn't want to change your position. But not every master is that way. Second Chronicles 12.8, there's this judgment that's on, um, on the nation of Israel because of their sin. And judgment's going to come, but they do humble themselves and repent. But nevertheless, the Lord says He is going to let some effects of their and some consequences of their sin come across. And He says why. He says, verse 8, But they will become His slaves so that they may learn the difference between My service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So there's a big difference between serving God and serving Yahweh here in the Old Testament. And the Jews had to learn this. There's a big difference between having Him as your ruler and then between that and, and serving these other nations, these other countries. Uh, not every slave master is the kind of slave master you would want to serve. Um, so what we have happening here in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would take an awl and they would pierce it through the ear to the doorpost or to the door. And it's like you belong to that house now and that household and you're going to be there forever. You don't ever leave. Um, and that's, that's the picture. Um, but I guess I would just say, maybe before we turn to some of these passages, there's a lot that can be said about what it means to be a slave of righteousness and of God. Um, but maybe it would be helpful, I think, to kind of start at the lowest level and kind of work our way up, because there's some different statements in the New Testament about what it means to be a slave of Christ. So at the lowest level... We can look at uh, Luke 17. Verse 7. And this is, this is just, this is just the most basic concept of what it means to be a slave. Luke 17, verse 7. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? So he's not going to do that. He says, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. Um, He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. So this really, I mean, in one way, this is not all that great. It's, what he's saying is you don't thank a slave for the work that he does because he's, he's a slave. Um, and Christ is talking about his disciples. So this is kind of the bottom rung of the ladder. Nevertheless, it's really important for us to think about it because he's right, we are unworthy, and um, we don't have any claim on any grace from God, and we don't deserve anything good. So this is true, but it gets way better than this, uh, and I'm thankful for that. You know, it wouldn't have to be this this way, but it does. The Lord is uh, such a good master. Okay, so this is where it starts. Um, turn to John 15. Okay, in verse 15, John 15, 15. Jesus says, 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus says, you're not just slaves. He says, our relationship goes a lot deeper than that. You're, I call you my friends. And, he, and he, he proves how that's the case. He says, look, you know, in, hu- in a human relationship, you don't have to tell the slave what your plans are or what you're going to be doing next year, and you're not close and intimate with him. Um, but he says, but I, I'm telling you what's going on, and I'm telling you my plans. Um, I call you my friends. And, and it's really true that to walk with the Lord and to serve Christ, it's not like, it's like he, I mean, you are unimportant and you are unworthy, but it's like he treats you like a friend and he, um, you have fellowship with him. You know, the way I thought about it was if you had all these generals and commanders kind of standing around and they've got, you know, their war strategy going on and some little errand boy comes in the room you know, they may take the message from him or whatever, and then that's it. There's, okay, get out of here, you know, it's time to leave. But if if the errand boy was maybe like a nephew or something of one of the generals, you know, he would probably get to hang out in there and all the generals would be, you know, slapping him on the back. And that's the way it is. It's, I mean, we're slaves, but we are, um, we are his friends too. And so the relationship's totally different. Um, but it gets even better yet. And this verse, I think, is almost too much. This is uh, Luke 12, verse 37. Um, Let's start in verse 35. Christ says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves." Okay, so this verse is incredible. This verse says um, it's like a master and he leaves and goes to this party and the slaves don't know when he's coming back. They know it's going to be at night, so they're waiting up for him. And this verse says even if you have to wait up late into the night, it's worth it. Be dressed and be ready so that you know, as soon as you hear him or see him approaching, you know, right when he would get ready to knock on the door, you can open the door and welcome him in. And uh, what it says is that these slaves that do that and serve their master in this way, what happens when the master comes home? You would think he comes home, he's the master, so he has slaves take off his coat or take off his boots or whatever, and then he has everything his way. But that's not what he does at all. Um, The picture is that the door opens and the master comes in, and then, you know, he you know, tells the slaves, no, that's all right, you know, I got my coat. And then he has them come and sit down at the table. And he starts bringing things to them, you know, and, and serving them and waiting on them. It's like he goes and puts on the apron or whatever you would wear, and he starts serving the slaves. That's what the verse says. It says he has them, you recline here, 
and I'll go get things for you. And he starts giving them things. You know, would you like a refill? And I mean, it's, he serves them. And what master do you know that does that? I mean, you know, we don't have any slaves in our country, um, but we still have sort of, you know, kind of roles and position levels. And it's rare to see that. That's, I mean, it's not a natural thing. The person that's more important gets served by the less important. That's just the way it works. But that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. Um, it, we are so blessed to be Christ's slaves. And it's, um, it's incredible. And that's true. Um, I mean, if you think about it, Jesus literally did this for his disciples. You remember that in the upper room? Uh, it was the Last Supper, night of um, Jesus' betrayal. And what does he do? All his disciples are sitting around the table and he girds himself and he goes around and starts washing their feet. I mean, it's almost awkward. It's, it's, I mean, it's so, you know, counterintuitive what you would think. In fact, Peter even refuses. He says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Like, because he, he knows, I mean, he knows this is the Lord of the universe. You can't wash my feet. And Christ says to him, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. He's okay, you know, you can wash my feet. Um, but Jesus literally fulfilled this. But, I mean, it's true for everybody. And in this parable, it's, this is what happens when he returns, on Christ's return. But this is true all throughout the Christian life. I mean, even before you're a Christian, God is, is working things in your life to call you to himself. And all throughout your Christian life, he serves you. Um, the greatest act of service, of course, was on the cross. You know, when it says, uh, Christ said that he didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Christ's death on the cross was his greatest act of service. Um, in everything, whether it's something big like that or even the small things, you know, you think about the big things, how God's involved with your justification, sanctification, glorification. But even in the small things, you think about um, just every temptation that the Christian has to face. And that the Lord is there with them. And the Lord says, you know, you can call on him because he'll, he knows how to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So it's like he comes to help you. Um, or even we sang that song today, just about discouragement. Even when my heart is breaking is what that, uh, what that psalm said. And just to think about that, that the Lord in times of discouragement for us comes and, you know, whispers a promise to us and helps us out and keeps our faith in him, always guides us, always leads us all throughout our life. It's like Christ serves uh, his people, his slaves. And so that's why it's so great to be a slave uh, of Christ. And um, that's why we have like this picture in the Old Testament. And if we, if, I mean, if we could kind of translate that into our you know, present situation. They're, they're slaves for six years, and then they get a choice, you know, of freedom. They don't have to be free, and in fact, they don't choose that. I mean, what would you choose? You know, if you say you're a Christian, is, is, is being a Christian, is it a burden to you? Something that, if you could, you would want to escape from it and get out of it. You know, if you could somehow work it out to where there wouldn't be consequences, and people wouldn't be, you know, upset, and it wouldn't cause any kind of stir would you take the back door out of christianity because if that's where your heart's at um 
then your whole idea of, of what it means to be a Christian and knowing the Savior is has gone wrong. Um, it's such a wonderful thing to know the Lord and belong to the Lord. Even when you have to, and that's not to say that everything is easy, but even when you walk through hard times, the Lord's there. Um, and there's a real sense in which all along the way, Christ says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And He helps you carry every burden, um, every every temptation, every pain or trial that you come up against. And so it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian and to be a slave of Christ. And there's all kinds of verses about being a slave to righteousness and a slave to Christ. Um, but that's kind of the first part of what I want to talk about is just how great Christ is and just to boast in Him and be thankful for all that He is and uh, praise Him for that. And, but the, the, the other side is there's a difference between serving Christ and between being a, a slave to sin. And that's really what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about because this is so important. And I don't know if you guys realize it. Um, I know that most of you do. But everybody in this room is a slave. And um, sometimes people don't think about things that way. A lot of times, what am I talking about? I'm talking about being a slave to sin. Um, you know, if you talk to people, they'll say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I sin. If You, you can usually, not always, uh, but usually get people to admit that. If you're trying to talk to somebody about where they're at in their life and where they're at with the Lord. But it's a lot harder to get somebody to admit that they're a slave to sin. That's totally different. That's the difference between saying, I make mistakes, I fail, I'm just like everybody else, I'm not perfect. There's a huge difference between that and between saying, I'm a slave of sin, I'm in bondage. I don't have any choice about running my life. Sin is running it for me. That's, I mean, it's night and day. And so I want to talk about that because this can't be taken for granted. And the truth is that you're born a slave to sin. It's not something that only some people, really bad people are, even people that seem totally polished and squeaky clean in the sight of society are just as much slaves to sin. It pervades all of humanity. Um, and I don't really even want to zero in on one verse on this. There's a lot. Uh, you can, I mean, there's tons of verses about people being enslaved to sin and enslaved to Satan. Um, think about Jesus saying that everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So if someone could even just read that, you know, you admit to being a sinner. Jesus said everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Um, he told the people that rejected him, he said that they hate him and they didn't love him because they were of their father, the devil. Uh, he says, you're not of God. He says, you're of your father, the devil. In 1 John, it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So people are slaves to sin and they're slaves to Satan. And this is invisible, but it's very true. Um, and you can see the effects of it all around. Um, so this is kind of my second purpose, is for anybody that's a slave of sin, just that I would plead with you to think about your current bondage and your current master and whom you serve and what the outcome of that is and plead with you instead to turn to Christ and to be His slave. 
So I thought of three differences between being a slave to Christ and a slave of sin. So that's what I want to talk about. Um, Okay, the first is that Christ gives lasting peace and joy, but following sin leaves you empty and broken. Okay, so this is the first big difference. Um, if you follow Christ as, as your master, you're, you're filled and you have peace and joy. Uh, if you follow sin, you'll be empty. You know, the Bible talks about the wages of sin being death, and there's a lot of ways in which that's true. One of the ways in which that's true is dead even while you live, that your life is empty and your purpose, I mean, what you were created for isn't fulfilled in any way and your life's broken. It's not what it should be. And uh, we can see that. Even if, you, even if you get things from the world that seem really great and really seem to bring you a lot of joy, it's temporary fading joy. Um, Ecclesiastes describes it like vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Even things that aren't sin. If it's not for the glory of God, if it's not done out of love for Christ, it's going to be vain. It's like chasing after the wind. Um, And that's true. That's true for everybody that's a slave of sin. Sin does not make you happy. Um, It doesn't fill you. And I know this um, from personal experience in my own life. Actually, before I was even a Christian, I realized this. Uh, It kind of took some time. For me, one of the things that I think the Lord used when I was younger uh, was this thing of video games. I don't know if you guys play video games. (laughs) Uh, Some of you adults may not be able to relate to this too well because my parents couldn't. (laughs) But uh, I played a lot of video games. And I was basically raised on video games, uh, me and my brother. And uh, we loved video games. I mean, it was so fun. So from an outward perspective, we were happy, right? And... uh, we would get excited about it. If we got a new video game, I mean, even before we played it for the first time, we were just geared up and exuberant and ready to go. Um, But video games, like any other idol in a person's life, um, it's not going to bring anybody real happiness. And I started to see that. What would happen is we would get a video game, we'd play it, and it was really fun for a while. And then after a while, it just got old and it wasn't fun anymore um we would do that you you maybe could get a new video game but then the same thing would happen so our strategy changed instead of you know you would think um and i mean it sometimes even as a kid even as uh even preteen, but especially in my teenage years i started to realize that i wasn't happy that video games were not going to make me happy because what happened time after time was each time I would get a new one, it wasn't long before it was over. It's like cotton candy. You know, it's really sugary, really sweet, but it doesn't fill you up. Um, it's just kind of fluffy sugar. It's just kind of a uh, sugar fix. And that's what would happen with me. So we would get a new game, and then our strategy kind of changed. You know, instead of seek things that really matter and seek the Lord and get right with God, because ultimately, Unless you're worshiping God, unless you know and love God, your life is going to be empty, and it's going to be just full of depression and despair. Um, 
So our strategy changed to instead of buying video games, we would rent them. This was much better because it was cheaper and it was you'd get them for a week and usually they were only good for a week anyways and you were ready to be done with them. Um, but that's the thing. People, when they're a, if you're a slave of sin, sin doesn't make you ultimately happy. And you may think it's kind of trite to talk about video games and you know that's kind of foolish. But, I mean, if, if you look down on that, I would just challenge you to think about, you know, what do you have in your life that's, that's so much better? Because if it's not Christ, I guarantee you it doesn't bring any more real joy than anything else you could point to. Um, you know, a lot of people pursue happiness and, you know, great careers or uh, this perfect relationship with this guy or this girl or, you know, this wonderful family, life, or whatever, but ultimately, if God is missing from the picture, it's not going to make you happy. And the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that sin leads to death and emptiness and brokenness. It's described in Jeremiah 2 like trying to drink water from a broken cistern. Can't hold any water. You're trying to dig and you're trying to drink, but there's nothing there. Um, That's what it means to be a slave of sin. That's one of the big differences. Um, but I don't want to overemphasize this too much because this is really not that big of a deal uh, compared to um, what I want to talk about next. Um, that's kind of a temporal thing throughout your life. You may have 80 years to live, and it could be really empty and really broken, and that doesn't even come close to um, what happens in the afterlife, what happens when you die? If you're a slave of sin or a slave of Satan, if you belong to him, you don't have forgiveness of sins. And this is what the Bible emphasizes way more than brokenness or emptiness. You know, emptiness is relevant when you talk to people, especially in our culture. We have so much and yet we're so empty and depressed, but you can't overemphasize it too much because the big thing is you need to be forgiven of all your sins. And if you're not, you're, you're under the judgment of God. Um, so this is one of this is the biggest difference, I think, being a slave of sin and a slave of righteousness, being Christ's slave. If if you belong to Christ, He forgives you of all of your sins. You're washed totally clean. If you don't, you're still under the weight of all of your sins and all of the guilt. Uh, Satan doesn't make anybody less guilty. If you follow him, you only get more guilt. And he's happy to keep you that way because Satan is going to be punished and he's going to be put in hell. But also all of his subjects are too. And so that means demons and that means anybody, even even us, if we're outside of Christ, um, all of mankind. And by default, you start out in his territory and you start out as his slave. Um, so this is the big difference. The big difference is this thing of heaven or hell. Uh, if you follow Christ, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell. And um, I want to make it really clear that when I'm talking about this, this thing of hell and judgment and punishment is all throughout the Bible. And it's not something that's just for children. Um, you know, I want, if there's any children here, I want you to listen And I want you to think about hell because it's a real place and Jesus talked about it and you need to know about it. But if you're an adult or even if you're an old person, this is still just as valid. You know, hell is not something, this idea of punishment is not something that's for kids. Um, 
there's only more added responsibility as you mature. It's not a sign of maturity to reject uh, the doctrine of hell or to reject this idea of punishment. All it is is because of deception and hardness of heart. As you get older, you don't necessarily get wiser. A lot of times what happens is your heart just gets hard. So please think about this. Um, The way that the Bible describes hell, Jesus especially, vivid imagery, Um, the way he talks about destruction and eternal torment, Um, it's everlasting, it's awful. He talks about flames and fire and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, surely this, above all other things, is um, the worst form of judgment and the worst consequence of being a slave of sin is that you're left guilty for all of your sins. You have to answer for your sins. Uh, I just read a verse this morning, Jeremiah 9, 9. It says, shall I not punish them for their sins? The Lord asked the question. Um, some of you might say, well, I don't believe in hell. Um, the fact of whether or not you believe in hell doesn't change its existence whatsoever. Um, or you may say that you think the idea of the wrath of God or the judgment of God is unfair especially when you realize that hell is as bad as it is. I guess I would just say, and if you've ever thought that, please just tune in for a second. Um, This idea of hell being unfair. The reason why people think that, and the reason why that comes against our mind and is this deceiving, unbelieving thought, is because you don't see sin for what it is. And you don't see sin for what it is because you don't see God for who He is. It's like it has to start with with God. And so um, the way I guess I would uh, liken it to is even in our society, there are things that you know deserve punishment. Um, And the greater the crime, the greater the punishment. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. If one of your coworkers was murdered, um, it would be a disturb. I mean, just think about that. I don't know who you work with. I don't know who your coworkers are. But if one of your coworkers was murdered, it would be uh, a disturbing thing for you. It would be uh, an overwhelming sense of uh, grief and agony, possibly even anger, and uh, the fact that you would be offended and be upset and be appalled. And there would be something in you that would want some kind of justice to be served and for things to be made right and for sin to be eradicated. Um, but think about if it wasn't your coworker, but if one of your children was murdered, then it would be a whole new level of offense. Okay? And this happens. This is not a hypothetical situation. This happens way too often. And so it would be a whole new level of offense. Why? Because the one that was sinned against is so much more valuable to you and, and, and worthy in your sight and lovely um, I mean, you couldn't even begin to express the kind of grief and the kind of um, horror and shock and anger and all of the emotions that come with that. Um, And a lot of that is right. You know, there are times when our responses are wrong, but a lot of that is, is right. The offense is that much greater. And so I would just say, think about the offense against God. Okay, God is infinitely good and infinitely holy and infinitely worthy. 
And so any, any offense, any sin committed against God is far greater than we could ever um, even imagine. Even as Christians with a redeemed mind, we struggle to get a hold of how high and how holy and how good God is. And so sometimes we struggle with this thing of sin and with punishment. We know that it's right, but it's like unless you, unless you can see God for who He is, um, that's when this accusation comes in, in this form of unbelief. And I would just say, just like you, I mean, think about trying to sympathize with a person and help a person cope and, and grieve with a person who's had one of their children murdered. If you haven't been through that, you're not going to know what that person's going through. You can try and be there for them and, and do the best you can, but there's just no way to feel what, what, what's happened to them and their family. And it's the same way with God. We don't understand the offense against God. We tend to treat sin like it's a light thing. Um, and it shouldn't be this way. That's why we have to have our minds renewed by Scripture because only God can teach you about what it's like to be offended creature to creator. So we need God's thoughts on this. Uh, hell is very real. And it's by far it's the worst, um, the worst form of of punishment and judgment, the worst consequence of being a slave of sin. Being a slave of sin is not going to help you get one step closer to having your sins forgiven. Um, Satan's sins will not be forgiven. If you follow him, if you're his slave, it's the same way. Um, This is a lot worse than being empty and broken because it's for the rest of your existence. You know, it's after your 80 years on this earth. And the third area, um, this is the third difference, is that Christ is totally honest with you and um, sin is deceitful. Satan is the father of all lies and deception and he's not going to tell you the truth. And this is huge because this, uh, this has a big part to play in why people stay slaves of sin. is because their master... Is, is evil and wicked and he's not a kind master and he is going to lie to you through the teeth. Um, people are deceived because they're being lied to. It's like if you're a man inside this walled-in compound and you serve this taskmaster and he says, you know, just keep doing your work and you ask him, you know, hey, what's on the other side of that wall? Because you can't see, it's really high. He says, nothing's over there, don't worry about it, just keep doing your thing. And eternal life is on the other side of the wall. But you're being lied to. Um, To be a slave of sin is to be deceived and to be fed with lie after lie. And uh, Christ is honest with people. Christ tells people the truth always, all the time. And so there's a big difference uh, in this area too. I guess I would even ask you, if you've thought about being a Christian before, if you've thought about becoming a Christian, what is it that stopped you from becoming a Christian? What lie did you hear? What, it, what excuse or what deception did you buy into? What were you told? What came into your mind that said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait, or no, I, I don't want to follow the Lord? Because I guarantee you, if there's something that kept you from coming to the Lord. It wasn't true. Any fact that you hear that would keep you away from Christ is a lie. It's a deception. Um, 
And, uh, you know, believers have usually, if you would, I mean, for, for sure, if you'll open up the Bible, I mean, Christ has an answer for whatever, whatever the excuse is, whatever the hindrance or barrier is, Christ has an answer for it, why you should be saved. Um, but even talking to believers, you know, I mean, people that you know, people in this church, to talk to people and, and ask them and to be honest with them because they'll be able to help you. They're taught by the Holy Spirit things of truth. They're led into all truth and they can speak truth into your life, things that you need to hear about your present situation and about getting right with God. Um, these three things. And so to follow sin, to be a slave of sin and a slave of Satan uh, has all kinds of bad consequences and all kinds of judgment wrapped up with it. Ultimately, especially with condemnation for sins and hell. And so you might ask, um, you know, how can, I, how can I escape being a slave of sin? How can I escape being a slave of the devil? Well, one thing I would say is that uh, you can't. You can't do anything about your slavery. That's the thing. When, when a slave is a slave, he's owned and he's in bondage. There's no way you can set yourself free. Um, I know this because actually I sort of tried it in my own life. Um, what happened for me, and this is true I know for a lot of people, was I started, because I was around Christianity before I was, before I was truly saved, I started to realize the things in the Bible are right and true. And I started to realize the sin in my life is bad and it's wicked and I'm guilty. And I didn't want to commit sin anymore. Okay, so there were several areas of my life where I knew this is just defiling and this is awful. I've got I've to do something about this. So my thought was to clean up my life and to try and straighten up and do things better. Okay, so here's several areas and I began to work on it. And this went on probably for about three months and it really was like the man in Romans 7, where for me, um, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I knew what was right and good. I could delight in what was right and true, at least by you know my words, but I couldn't carry it out. It's like I would I'd maybe get do a little better for a while and then fall right back into sin. I was still a slave of sin. And you can't escape on your own. I guess that's my point, is that um, only Christ can set you free. You have to come to Him. It's like in the Gospels when it talks about um, a man who's demon-possessed and, and who's afflicted by demonic power. He can't escape. I mean, the devil there is called the strong man. He can't escape the strong man because the devil is way more powerful than you. And sin's influence in your life is something that you can't root out. But it says... There is someone who can come and bind up the strong man and plunder his household, and he can take you out. Um, and then you'll belong to him from then on. And it's a great thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, the only solution to being set free from sin and bondage to Satan is to have Christ as your master, to have him come in and, and release you. And to, you know, it's like you get your ear pierced to his doorpost and you belong to him for the rest of your life. Um, that's the only way. How does that happen? 
how is it that Christ does that? I think it's really important. Uh, I, we would try and stress this with the youth at the youth Bible study all the time to always remember and think about what Christ did on the cross. Okay, because the gospel isn't the gospel without Christ's death on the cross. And Christ died on the cross so that he, so that you could be washed of all of your guiltiness and forgiven of all your sin and so that you could be released from the power of sin and from the power of the enemy. You know, it's, um, there's several verses that talk about Christ triumphing over the devil on the cross. And that's where the victory is won. So that's how he can set you free um, is because of his death on the cross. It takes care of guilt and it takes care of the power of sin. Maybe we could just read a verse on this just to close with. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 14, 15. Um, It says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray, please would you uh, not allow the enemy to blind minds and to snatch up the word. Lord, I pray these things would be real. Um, We thank you for being so great, such a gracious master. We love to serve you and belong to you. And um, I just pray specifically, Lord, if there's anybody here that knows they're a slave of sin, that they would turn to you before it's too late and they would... Um, belong to your household and cast themselves on you and trust themselves to you. Please, Lord, have mercy in wrath. Remember mercy. Thank you for your son. Thank you for a savior. Thank you for the cross. Lord, we look to you and we look to your power and we trust you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I read a verse this morning that uh, came to mind as John was speaking uh, in Psalm 119. It says, 
David says this. I think it's an amazing little phrase. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Verse 45 of Psalm 119. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. So here's here's one who was uh, acknowledging that being a uh, he found his liberty in being a slave of God's. And I guess to me the amazing thing was that David said this under the old covenant. I mean, God, the reality of God and God's ways had been shown to him clear enough by the Holy Spirit that he said, I, I realize this is the way of liberty, uh, walking in your precepts. So how much more for us in the time of the New Covenant should we be able to say that uh, I will walk at liberty for I, I seek Christ. I am a follower of Christ. Anyone else have anything they'd like to share? <coughs> thoughts on what John shared here this morning? You know, I was thinking of that also uh, an example from from the concentration camps because over the uh, doorway of a number of the concentration camps, I know it was this way at Dachau that uh, that uh, I was able to go to there in Germany. They had this sign that said, uh, "Well, the English translation was work makes free." In other words, just come in here, work hard, you be set free. It was just a lie. Uh, they'd work hard, and then they'd kill them. Uh, and that's the kind of taskmaster Satan is. You work for me, you'll get free. And <laughs> it's not that way. It was a lie. Deception. I was um, thinking on this thing of, of hell. You know, God himself is life. I mean, there is no life outside That um, I might get this wrong, but a, a definition of physical death is a separation from life, the, the body that is separate from life, and that what hell is is an eternal separation from life. And, you know, a lot of times people think of the, the aspect of punishment, but I've thought about that darkness and aloneness forever you know, separate. And it's hard to imagine here because there's a grace about being alive. I mean, when you're alive here, 
still experiencing, you're, you're kind of still living in the presence of God. There's there's the sun, there's there's aspects of God's life. But once a person dies under that judgment, <coughs> there will be no sunshine, there will be no light, there will be nothing of God, total separation forever from what is life, from life itself, <coughs> which is God. Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. <coughs> and he is life. And that's the biggest lie, is that there can be life outside of God. And, Well, thank you, John, for re-emphasizing to us some of the basic truths of Christianity. Well, we have our meal time now, so.